Luke passage, you're going to hear about uh, Jesus healing two women. Uh, one who was unclean because she had an issue of blood, and another who was unclean because her body was dead. And yet we see that Jesus draws near to both of them. And so as you hear the story from Luke, then we're going to hear from Leviticus and Numbers about how these people were unclean and how they were supposed to be treated. And then finally in Hebrews, we're going to see how Jesus came to people even such as them. And so as we listen to these texts, I hope that you can hear that flow in them and that you can even see yourself as one of these unclean ones whom Christ has drawn near to. Let me now pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see his word rightly and that he would empower me to preach his word faithfully. God, we thank you for your word. I ask now, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see the riches of your word as we read in it. Lord, for anyone whose spiritual eyes are presently darkened, God, we pray for light, Lord, that they may see your truth and the the beauty of your truth. God, would you empower me as I proclaim your word to proclaim it with faithfulness and accuracy, Lord, and even set a guard over my mouth that I might not say anything false or misleading. And Lord, I ask that as your word is faithfully read, as it's faithfully proclaimed, Lord, would you grant faith to be produced in the hearts of each person here, Lord, that we might trust in your word, not merely as hearers, but also as doers who are willing to live out what we believe. And so give us help in all these ways now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all, all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child, and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, and he charged them to tell no one what had happened. <clears throat> Leviticus fifteen twenty-five through 31. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, 
All the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Numbers 5, verses 1 to 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or who has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Hebrews thirteen, ten through 16. You have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Well, as you just saw... Both of these people in Luke chapter 8 would have seen themselves as being in a very desperate situation. The mother and father who had the dead child would be desperate for very obvious reasons. Who among us, especially those of us who have children, would not understand the desperation of a mother and a father who has a 12-year-old that is dying? But then on the other hand, we see this woman with the discharge of blood. And of course, in our own day and time, we may see this as simply being a medical issue. But again, as we read in Leviticus and in Numbers, for this culture in this time, it was not simply a medical issue. It was an issue that for all the the medical inconvenience it may have posed, it was much more of a social disease than anything else. This woman would have been ostracized from society. As we read in Numbers, a woman such as this would have been put outside the camp. That is, outside the normal dwelling place of the rest of her people. And so in the day of Jesus, we don't know exactly what that would have looked like if she would have had to live outside the town or maybe just on the edge of town. But we do know that anyone who touched her, anyone who touched anything that she sat upon, that she herself touched, 
would also be unclean? And of course, even above and beyond that, she's not even able to participate in the religious rituals of her day. She cannot bring any sort of offering to the temple. She cannot draw near to God because she has been declared unclean by this disease that she has. And one of the fascinating things that I think Luke is doing by telling these two stories together is he's trying to show us the true spiritual state that we all have. That we all have the uncleanness like the uncleanness that this woman has. Indeed, we all have the death like this young child has. Now, of course, Luke put these two stories together ultimately because this is indeed how it happened. But I think Luke, being a good writer, being a literary artist, if you will, also paired these stories up to show how spiritual uncleanness is like death. So just consider a couple of the commonalities that these two stories have for one another. For the first part, we see that one story is actually begun And then another story is inserted before the first story is finished. So when we look at verses 40 and 41, we see that a man named Jairus comes to Jesus and tells about his sick daughter. But before we learn about what happens with that daughter, we first read about this woman who has the issue of blood. And then we come back to hear about what happens with this daughter. And then With these two stories, one being told in the middle of the other, we also see many other similarities presented. So in verse 42, we see that this daughter is about 12 years of age. And then in verse 43, we see that there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So notice the 12 and the 12, we see that relationship. We also see that this young girl who is dying is called the daughter of of Jairus and, of course, the girl's mother. But then notice that Jesus also calls this woman with the issue of blood, daughter. In verse 48, it says, he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And of course, I've already noted just the similarly desperate situation that both of these people are in. In other words, what I think Luke is trying to portray for us is he's trying to portray that the uncleanness that this woman felt that the uncleanness of the temple really is a kind of spiritual death. You see, we, when we look at the condition of these two people with worldly eyes, we would probably think, oh, the, the girl dying is clearly the more significant problem here. And we wouldn't see that the uncleanness that this woman has is just as critical of a problem. Or we might look at what Jesus did to cure them by raising up the dead girl to life and then healing this woman with the issue of blood. And again, we would think, well, Jesus raising this dead person to life, this is the greater miracle here. But again, what this text is showing us, that Jesus healing this woman with the issue of blood is no less miraculous, it's no less wonderful than raising the dead to life. And so my first prayer for us as we come to the text this morning is that we will see ourselves in a similarly desperate situation to the situation that this woman was in and that this family was in. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. In other words, we all were born with a kind of spiritual death. We were all born in a desperate situation. 
It makes me think of the illustration of, uh, of Bilbo Baggins from The Lord of the Rings, how when he put up the ring on his finger, he could suddenly see the world in a different way than he could see it before. This was, that's what this passage is trying to help us to do. It's trying to help us see the world in a different way than we could see it before. Whereas the, the danger and the risk that we so often want to think of when we look at the world is the, the medical risk, is the health risk, is the physical danger that we might pose, the financial danger that we might be in, the relational problems that we have. What this text wants to show us is there is a much, much deeper and more serious problem than any of these problems that can be seen with the physical eyes. It is the problem of spiritual death. Now, last week, when we looked at the story of the man who was cured of this legion of demons, we saw him as this picture of what it looks like when spiritual death takes over. And praise be to God that Jesus says, deliver us from spiritual death. But it's important for us to understand that even as we are delivered from spiritual death, the old man, the dying nature, still exists within us. And if we do not resist the power of spiritual death in our lives, then it will take over. It will consume our souls. It will consume our flesh. And so we must have eyes to see the real danger that exists. The danger of death itself. The danger of uncleanness that separates us from God, that separates us from society around us. And we must understand how weighty these matters truly are. Now, along with showing us the desperate situation that both of these groups are in, it also shows us very clearly how both of these people come to Jesus. So it shows us how the woman who is cured of her issue of blood comes to Jesus, and it shows us how this family comes to Jesus. And it's important for us to see how the way in which they come to Jesus is they come to him in the midst of trial and in the midst of doubt. And Jesus honors that faith that trusts him in the midst of trial and doubt. So first I want to look at the the faith of the woman who is cured from this issue of blood. So notice the desperate situation that she was in. In verse 43, it says that she had spent all her living on physicians, but she could not be healed by anyone. In other words, this woman has been made impoverished by this disease, this sickness that she has. She has turned to every physician that she can, and she cannot be cured. Now, on top of that, she knows her uncleanness. She knows that she is not supposed to be around people. And so in order for her to come to Jesus, she feels like she has to sneak up on him, as it were. <laughs> she can't just come to him in public. She knows that people would run away. I'm sure she fully expects that Jesus himself, being a good Jew, would also run away. But she thinks, if I can just sneak up on him and just touch the hem of his garment— then I will be made clean. And so she has to press through not only her poverty and her sense of utter shame and loss, she also has to press through this sense that everybody is going to ostracize her, that no one wants to touch her, no one wants to be near her. And we can see the the fear that she has that 
even after she touches Jesus and Jesus asks around and says, who is it that touched me? Everyone denies it. She still won't even speak. She doesn't want to be known. But finally, in verse 47, it says, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. See, this is how fearful, this is how unclean the woman felt. Even after being cleansed, she is still trembling and fearful of being in the presence of so many people, of being in the presence of Jesus himself. You see, she did have faith in Jesus. If she did not have faith in Jesus, she would not have risked this journey into town. She would not have risked this jumping into a crowd to touch the edge of his garment. She had faith in Jesus, but she had a faith that was trembling and that was fearful. And yet she drew near, she persisted through this hesitation that she had so that she could come to Jesus, so that she could indeed be healed. Now, one of the most amazing things to me about the example of this woman is how she had indeed spent all of her living on physicians, and yet at this point in time, she was still willing to come to Jesus for a cure. You see, so many of us believe in this uh, sunk cost fallacy. I don't know if you've heard of the sunk cost fallacy before, but the sunk cost fallacy is the idea that whenever we invest in something in a big way, We as human beings are prone to keep on investing in it simply because we've already put a lot of money down on it. We don't want to turn another way because that would make us look foolish, right? It would make the initial decision seem wrong. And so, so often in our pride and arrogance, we can want to keep pouring good money after bad or good time after bad or good effort after bad even when we know that what we've already spent is not useful and has not achieved its intended purpose. And here is a woman that in her former life clearly had enormous faith in physicians. She probably had enormous faith in her own discernment as well in sorting through the physicians and their various claims and the various treatments that they offered. And she probably thought for many years, you know what, I'm smart enough. You know, and I have some money. If I can just think this through and if I can just find the right physician, then I'm going to be cured. And she did it once and obviously it didn't work, but that didn't dissuade her. She did it again and again and again. She kept giving her money to physician after physician after physician and none of them could heal her. Beloved, how many of us are in that same situation that in our lives we have given our lives to one thing or another. And yet this thing that we have given our lives to has yet to pay us back at all. (laughs) Has yet to reward us in any way. Has yet to give us true joy, true peace, true satisfaction, true fulfillment. And yet so often the, the way we think is like, well, if I just work a little more at it, if I just give a little more time to it, If I'm just more authentic in my participation of this thing or that thing, then it will truly offer me what I believe it can offer me. And yet the clear lesson here from this woman is that going down a false path, going down a path that is a path other than Jesus Christ, 
for our healing, for our cleansing, will only lead to brokenness and poverty. To 12 years of wasted time. And God gave grace to this woman such that she would be willing to say, I know I have spent everything that I have on physicians. I know that for years and years I have touted the the glory and the wisdom and the effectiveness of physicians. And yet even though I have invested fully in that thing, I will not invest in it anymore. I will go and I will simply try to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And I believe that if I can do that, I will be made well. Beloved, let me encourage you not to fear looking foolish in the eyes of the world for for turning to Jesus. Abandoning something that maybe you formerly advocated for because now you see that you must turn to Jesus. Let me encourage you to not simply count how much time of your previous life would have been wasted if you now turn to Jesus, but rather look at what you can gain by knowing Jesus. Don't count the chaff that is lost, but count the wheat that is gained. Beloved, all of us in our life before coming to know Jesus, and I say with all certainty in our life right now, are pursuing things that are not worthy of our time or attention. And in large part, maybe we pursue them because we felt like we've already pursued them this long, we can't give up on it now. But see the example of this woman who did a 180 on all that she had believed in and known before. And she dared to trust in Jesus rather than the physicians, and she was healed. And not only was she healed physically, but again, we see that she came to Jesus trembling and fearful. She was also frightened socially. She was scarred socially. And yet, after she comes into the presence of Jesus and she is healed, she is willing to declare in the presence of all, verse 47 says, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So this woman who formerly trembled to even come into polite society now stands up in the midst of this great crowd and declares in the presence of all why she had come to Jesus, how she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. You see, beloved, Jesus does not only offer cleansing for the the problem that we think is our most severe problem. He offers cleansing for our whole person, body and soul, relational, historical, emotional, intellectual, whatever sort of problem we have, Jesus aims for our full restoration. And that is what this woman receives when she comes trembling to Jesus. Again, she doesn't march to Jesus in boldness and in confidence. Her faith is a trembling faith. And yet, even in her trembling, she perseveres through her doubts. And at the end of her ordeal, she hears in verse 48, when Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. How sweet it must have been for her to hear those words, to hear Jesus call her daughter. 
to know that her faith had made her well and that she can go in peace, living a life of joy, re-entering society, engaging in the worship of God. She has been delivered from death. Such is the faith of this woman that we are to emulate. And then the other faith that we see in the story, again, is the faith of Jairus and Jairus' wife. Now in verse 41, again, we see that there was a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And he came and he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him to come to his house. So this is the first sign of faith that we see. And I'm sure it took some measure of boldness for Jairus to come to Jesus in the first place. Jesus was a divisive figure in Israel, even at this early date. There were some Pharisees that were telling others, you know, stay away from this Jesus. He's a crazy man. And yet, Jairus, who had so much to lose being a ruler of the synagogue, nevertheless decided to come to Jesus. We also see that there was another crowd that Jairus had to persevere through in order to come to Jesus. And that was the crowd that was already gathering at his house for his daughter's funeral. You see, down in verse 49, after Jesus had cured the woman with the issue of blood, it says that someone came and said that Jairus' daughter had died. But in verse 50, Jesus implores them to press on. And then in verse 51, we read, When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child, and all were weeping and mourning for her. So that all that were weeping and mourning, that's the first part of the funeral process in Jewish culture. When someone died, there would be a big crowd that would come to the house, sometimes even a paid crowd if necessary, to weep and mourn over the person who had just died. And so we can presume that even before Jairus left to go get Jesus, there was already a crowd starting to gather at his house, knowing that this girl was about to die, that the funeral was about to begin, and weeping and mourning for her loss. And so here's Jairus and Jairus' wife. And everybody around them seems to already be saying, it's over, your daughter's dead. And perhaps he was not sure what Jesus would be able to do, but he knew that Jesus had the power to heal. He had seen many examples of before, so perhaps he thought, if I can just get there quickly enough, then maybe Jesus can come before my daughter dies and she will be saved. And so I'm sure Jairus ran as fast as he could with all the emotion of a father whose young daughter is dying to come and find Jesus. And of course, after he finds Jesus and he falls at Jesus' feet in this position of saying, Jesus, you are Lord, I am not, falling down at his feet. Jesus seems to be coming on his way, but then Jesus pauses because of this woman with the issue of blood. And no doubt, Jairus was panicking this whole time, worried about his daughter and the fate that she was about to suffer. And yet, as soon as Jesus is finished with this woman with the issue of blood, again, we see the messenger coming from the house, saying, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. 
And how great must the temptation have been for Jairus in that moment to give way to that mentality, to give way to that thought. Yeah, my daughter's dead. There's nothing more Jesus can do. I might as well just go home and mourn. But listen to the words that Jesus has to them that could have just as easily been spoken to the woman with the issue of blood. He says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. See, This verse is showing us how faith is ultimately the opposite of fear. That when we fear, when we are uncertain that God can actually deliver us from some situation that we're in, and we start to worry, we start to work in our own efforts to cover what we think God cannot do, this is not the posture of faith. And so Jesus commands Jairus and his wife say, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. That word believe is simply another word for faith. Again, as Jesus had just said to this woman who he cured when he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. It is the belief in coming to Jesus that made her well. And Jesus is saying, if you will also believe, then all will be well. And so again, they bring Jesus back to this house. And again, Jairus has to face this crowd of mourners that has already arrived, who are laughing at Jesus because he says that the child is not dead, only asleep. So Jairus is standing up to this social pressure all around him, believing that maybe Just maybe Jesus really can do something for his child. And sure enough, Jesus goes into the room where the dead child was lying. And then in verse 54, we read, Taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. So first notice the the touch of Jesus' hand in verse 54. Taking her by the hand, again, To touch a dead body was supposed to have made Jesus ritually unclean. Nobody would touch a dead body. Just as this woman who is unclean by the issue of blood was not supposed to touch anyone, but Jesus reaches out and touches this one who is unclean. He takes her by the hand and he says, Child, arise. And with these words of Jesus, with this touch of Jesus, her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. Notice Jesus' fatherly care for this young child who had died. And then in verse 56, we read these curious words. Her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now notice how different that is than this woman who is cured from the issue of blood, right? Jesus asked around and he wouldn't stop asking until someone spoke up. And then he encourages this woman who is cured of the issue of blood to declare in the presence of all why she had touched them and how she had been immediately healed. And yet with a girl who was raised from the dead, he charges them to tell no one what had happened. 
Again, I believe that the lesson for us here is that Jesus wants everyone to see that the spiritual problems that we face, and again, the the problem of uncleanness was preeminently a spiritual problem. It was a kind of spiritual death. He wants everyone to see that the spiritual problems that we face are much weightier and much greater than whatever physical problem we may have. And that is why when he raises this girl from the dead, he knew that everybody would be amazed and would be blown away by this great act of physical resurrection that Jesus had performed. But what Jesus wants people to see is it's not your physical resurrection that is most necessary. It is not your physical healing that is most necessary. This is not what you should be paying attention to. What you should be paying attention to is the fact that you are unclean and separated from God and I can make a way for you to know him. And that is as great, that is as wonderful as any sort of physical resurrection from the dead. And so, beloved, my prayer for us this morning is that each of us will see the spiritual condition that we are in. Now again, I pray that everyone in this room is indeed saved and that you have experienced that spiritual resurrection from the dead. And if you have experienced that spiritual resurrection, then that means that you now have a new man living inside of you that is seeking to walk in the ways of God. But it also means that you have an old man who is still living inside of you, who is still seeking to draw you toward the ways of death. And the call to all Christians, as the epistles so often repeat, is to put on the new man. Is to put on Jesus Christ, the identity that you have in him. And to resist the old man with its passions and desires that do lead to death. And again, this is not a minor, insignificant fight. This is not just a skirmish that might hurt us or help us for one day. This, beloved, is a battle of life and death, of eternal life or eternal death. We must daily put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, even if we are doubting him, even if we are trembling, let us think, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, then maybe today I will be healed. You see, God knows that none of us are perfect saints. None of us are so strong that we're going to wake up every morning just believing with our whole hearts the power and the grace that Jesus has. No, every morning there is going to be a different struggle. There's going to be some way when that day we think, no, Jesus can't love me today. No, he doesn't have the power to deliver me from this or that today. No, I've invested too much in sin in this way to to turn my back on it now. Every day, there's going to be something attacking you. And so you don't have to get your head right before you come to Jesus. You don't have to understand everything. Be bold in the faith when you come to Jesus. No, you can come trembling. You can come saying, if I can just get a hold of the edge of his garment, I will be made well. And beloved, if we would have that mentality daily, then just as we see in this passage, the power of Jesus 
can flow to us. Jesus responds to faith, beloved. He responds to faith, whether it is a timid, just barely walking toward him faith, or he responds to faith if it's a bold, I could never be wrong sort of faith. Jesus responds to faith. Beloved, faith is only faith when it's put into action. When we actually do take that step toward Jesus. Because until we take that step toward Jesus, we show that we do not have faith, that we do not believe he will be there. But when we take that step toward Jesus, and number one way that I would say you take steps toward Jesus today is through his word and through prayer. It says you go to God in his word. It says you go to God in prayer. It says you, as you go to God in the fellowship of his people, that you will touch the hem of his garment and you will be made well. So, beloved, let me encourage each of you this morning to be like this unclean woman who had been cast out for so many years, to be like this desperate mother and father and run to Jesus believing that he can make you well, whatever it is that is troubling your heart this morning. Let's go to him in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we do indeed praise you, Lord, for your power. We praise you, Lord, for your grace that we do not need to be perfect in order to come to you. We don't need to understand everything in order to come to you. Our hearts do not even need to be right in order to come to you. We thank you that if we simply believe that you can make us well, then you will do just that. So, Father, would you give each of us faith this morning, I pray, even if it's a trembling, barely there faith, give us enough faith that we would step toward you just a little ways, that we might know your healing power. And then, Lord, would you come in power, and would you heal us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.